0: Welcome to the reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger for Thursday, December 14th, 2023. I'm your reader, Mary Frances, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. So looking at the front page of the Globe Gazette, um, there's a big photo and it shows a woman holding up a toy for a baby to look at. The baby's being held by a female officer. And the headline there is Shop with a Cop. And the other story on the front page, Alliant Energy seeks increase in electric and gas rates. So we'll start with the Shop with a Cop. MCPD and Sheriff's Office team up to bring families holiday cheer. This is by Robin McClelland of the Globe Gazette. The Mason City Police Department and the Cerro Gordo County Sheriff's Office joined forces this week to bring a dose of holiday cheer to area families. Shop with a Cop is an annual event coordinated by local law enforcement. MCPD officer Jason Stiles has managed the program for the last 13 years. This is our first year sharing duties with the deputies, he said. Um, They don't always get the opportunity to do these community events, so we're glad to have them here. The Shop with a Cop program is a way for officers and deputies to get to know area families and make a positive impression on young people through a fun activity like Christmas shopping. The event was held over two days. Monday evening, families joined law enforcement at Walmart to choose their gifts, while Tuesday evening saw shoppers arriving at Fleet Farm. Each child was given a budget divided into necessities and toys. Zach and Cheyenne Lee arrived with Zach's mother, Rose, tagging along to help. The couple have three children, Maverick, age three, Raylin, age 2, and Olivia, age 1. Tiffany Jameson shopped with her son Cyrus, age 2, on Tuesday, guided by MCPD officer Rangaroon Fibone. Jameson is due with twins in late January and isn't working after a gallbladder surgery at 19 weeks gestation. It's been a pretty scary pregnancy. They, the twins, are doing okay, but it's been really hard on me, Jameson said. Cyrus and Fibone got off to a silly start, with Cyrus hiding his face as Fibone held up items for him to choose from. Within minutes, the two had become fast friends, sharing sticker badges and fist bumps along the way. Scent Credit Union has partnered with law enforcement for the project for five years. Employees set up a table of snacks and water and greeted families. Tracy Mullenbruck says it's a joyful experience each year. Oh, it's definitely about the kids. The look on their faces, the excitement of choosing items. It's so much fun, Mullenbrick said. Mullenbrick knows there's a bigger purpose to the program. We see so many families who use this opportunity to get snow gear for the kids. Now, if kids don't arrive at school with their snow gear, they have to stay and play on the blacktop. So this gets them out with their friends playing, she said. Cheyenne Lee is grateful for the program. It helps to stretch the budget. The kids got PJs and new clothes. They're most excited about the toys, though, she said. The Lees were one of the first families to arrive, and as officers were waiting for the others, they took the chance to double up with the Lees. Officers Nadia bosson and Akman uh, took the family through the children's clothing section at Walmart. Maverick's energy was high, but he stayed close to his mom and dad and, and his shoppers, as he marveled over Spider-Man t-shirts, Paw Patrol pajamas, and hats and gloves. Raylin hopped out of the cart to look at and touch all of the Minnie Mouse clothes, but tired out pretty quickly. She rode in the rest, in the cart the rest of the evening and gave smiles to everyone who passed by. Before long, Ackman said his goodbye to the kids and the grown-ups to assist another family. bosson was left with the task of taking three young children to the toy section. While choosing clothes and accessories was a lot of fun, Maverick's face lit up when he arrived in the toy section. It didn't take him long to pick up a Hot Wheels set, complete with a track and a launcher. As his family and Boston looked over the toys for the little girls, Maverick couldn't help but put in his two cents. She likes it, he exclaimed as Raylin explored a toy. The Lees both work full-time. Cheyenne works at North Iowa Community Action Organization, um, as a head start associate, and Zach works at Manley at Trinity Rail, works in Manly at Trinity Rail. Both work regular schedules, which allows them to spend time with the kids and family. Most of our family lives down by Des Moines, and we visit when we can. But for Christmas, we like to stay home and enjoy the kids. Next story from the front page, Alliance seeks increase in electric and natural gas rates. Alliant Energy Corporation is seeking a rate increase for its electric and natural gas customers in Iowa, setting in motion a 10-month public process that will see the Iowa Utilities Board either approve or deny the application by the spring. The company is requesting a 7.7%, that's approximately $10 per month, increase to the average residential electric customer's total bill beginning in October and a second phase increase of 5.7%, which is approximately $7 a month, to take effect in October of 2025. Including all electric customer classes, the proposal results in an approximately 9% increase to the average electric customer's total bill beginning in October, and a second phase increase of approximately 7% beginning in October 2025. For gas customers, the company is requesting a 5% increase That's approximately $3 a month to the average residential gas customers total bill that's planned to take effect in October. In a press release, Alliant Energy, which does business in Iowa as Interstate Power and Light Company or IPL said the request, quote, reflects investments to continue building a more reliable, sustainable, and resilient energy future in Iowa. Nobody, including us, wants to see bills increase said Mayuri Farlinger, Vice President, Customer and Community Engagement at Alliant Energy. However, there are more costs down the road if we do nothing or simply continue with business as usual. That's why we're planning ahead and acting on behalf of our customers to ensure that we're ready to manage the rapidly changing energy landscape. Alliant provides energy service to 995,000 electric and 425,000 natural gas customers across Iowa and Wisconsin. This is Alliant's sixth rate increase request since 2004 and, if approved as proposed, it would be the largest in the company's history. The company last raised rates in 2019. They went up 8.1 percent for electricity, 9.7 percent for gas. At that time the increase requested by the company was more than 25 percent. The increase is projected by Alliant To affect 502,937 electric customers and 226,723 natural gas customers. Pursuant to Iowa Code, customers were informed of the proposed rate increase via email or, or, excuse me, via mail or electronic mail October 12th. The utility argues in its filing that the rate increase is necessary due in part to the costs of modernizing and strengthening the energy grid, along with the need to move power lines from overhead to underground to decrease the number and length of outages. Quote, diversifying the company's Iowa energy mix by adding renewable energy, which is cost effective for customers long term, creates jobs and tax revenues for communities and contributes to a healthier environment, the company said, adding that it plans to add 400 megawatts of solar in the state and extend the life of the wind energy that the company owns and operates in Franklin County. Four public hearings were conducted by the IUB in November. Representatives from IPL, IUB, and the Iowa Office of Consumer Advocates were available to address questions and concerns on the rate increase. Alliant Energy's cost per kilowatt hour for residential customers are consistently among the highest in the state, according to annual data collected by the IUB. Business owner Chad Lear of Mason City said at a public meeting at the Surf Ballroom in November, I really hope you guys at the IUB turn this rate increase down because it affected a lot of people last time. And with the current economy, there are people who just can't make it. They just can't, especially fixed income people. Cerro Gordo County Supervisor Chris Watts said at the meeting that he believes corporate greed is to blame for the rate hikes. Quote, I have nothing against Alliant. I have a lot of good friends that work for Alliant Energy or worked for Alliant Energy in Mason City. Great people, he said. But he continues, but the problem has not been with the locals. The problem has been higher up the ladder, so to say. When I looked up the CEO, I believe his name was John Larson, appointed in July of 2019. His estimated worth is like, or salary, is like $7.29 million in stock, uh, compensation, special, or whatever. Now, to me, that's corporate greed. That's what's getting the United States of America in the problems that we're in right now. Big corporate people are getting too greedy and on our backs. And I guess I'll leave it at that. But I would encourage the Iowa Utilities Board to represent the people of the state of Iowa and decline this rate increase. So far, the cities of Decorah, Kelowna, Alcator, and Rowan have each passed resolutions opposing the magnitude of the rate increase and authorized them to be filed as evidence. At the time of the last rate increase in 2019, the Mason City Council formally adopted a similar motion opposing the increase in rates. The IUB oversees the rate-making process, reviewing evidence presented by affected parties. According to IUB member Josh Burns, the board will, quote, come to a decision that assures safe and reliable electric and gas service at a reasonable cost, while allowing the utility an opportunity to maintain its financial integrity, unquote. Burns said the IUB anticipates the evidentiary hearing for the case to be held in April or May. Until then, the IUB's e-file system allows parties to present evidence in the docket numbered RPU-2023-0002. According to Iowa law, the IUB has 10 months after the initial filing to issue a final decision. Citizens can voice concerns to the IUB through the Open Docket Comment Forum on its website, or you can email them at customer at iub.iowa.gov. The IUB will hold a scheduling conference for matters related to the docket January 22nd, 9 a.m. in the Utilities Board Hearing Room, and that's at 1375 East Court Avenue in Des Moines. Anyone who plans to participate should file a notice in the docket before January 17 and identify whether their participation will be in person or via webinar. And turning the page of the Globe Gazette, Cerro Gordo County Young Farmer Takes Discussion Meat Top Prize. This is from Robin McClelland of the Gazette. Sarah Tweeten of Cerro Gordo County was selected as the winner of the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation's Young Farmer Discussion Meet and will represent Iowa in the American Farm Bureau Federation Young Farmer and Rancher Discussion Meet during the AFBF annual convention in January. Tweeten also received a $1,500 cash prize from GrowMark in an expense-paid trip to the 2024 IFBF Young Farmer Conference. The Young Farmer Discussion Meet Is a competition in which participants are scored based on their ability to engage in a cooperative discussion on challenges affecting agriculture similar to a county farm bureau board meeting discussion it's less of a debate and more of a kitchen table discussion like you would have with neighbors and family in a 30-minute discussion young farmers are awarded points based on their ability to identify a problem seek solutions and listen to each other's viewpoints. This year's questions involved issues like growing Farm Bureau membership to reflect the diversity of Iowa's agriculture and effective engagement with elected officials and lawmakers. The first round was held at the 2023 Young Farmer Conference. There, eight semifinalists were chosen. Participants must be 18 to 35 years old to join the discussion Tweeten may be a young farmer, but her experience is invaluable. She operated Furlay Fruit and Vegetable Farms. That's a UPIC pick operation that also offered education on small operations practices. She managed the Mason City Farmer's Market as well, giving her the opportunity to look at agriculture in Iowa from a different perspective. Quote, I brought a lot of experience in diversity to the discussion meet. I've had the pleasure of working with small farmers of different backgrounds. And I brought that perspective to the discussion, she said. Many of these producers are growing specialty crops. Diversification is about the crop and the people. The IFB is an important organization to Tweeten. It really is a grassroots organization, she said. It starts at the bottom with county farm bureaus hearing out the concerns of landowners and farmers. When those issues are identified... Members can work with legislators and county supervisors to find solutions for the agriculture industry. It's what makes events like the discussion meet so important, she said. We're having these conversations every day. By collaborating and looking for solutions, we're finding the best path forward, she said. While Tweeten took the top prize, Larissa Skippers of Mahaska County placed second. Tweeten will continue on to the 2024 AFBF Annual Convention in Salt Lake City to compete in the National Discussion Meet. And then we have the column in brief. Mason City man pleads guilty to dependent adult abuse. A North Iowa man entered a guilty plea to a charge of dependent adult abuse after authorities say he def- he defrauded a person in his care. Derek Allen Phillips, age 65, of Mason City, filed a written plea of guilty in court Tuesday morning. He was accused last summer of becoming the payee for an adult individual in June of 2020 and putting the person's Social Security income for his own personal use instead of paying it to a Mason City care facility at which the individual resided. Phillips originally pleaded not guilty to the crime in September. A sentencing date has not yet been set. The next brief. Lutheran Services of Iowa receives a $5,000 grant for early childhood programs. Lutheran Services in Iowa, that's LSI, received $5,000 from the Farrer Endowment Foundation in support of early childhood programming efforts to prevent child abuse and increase positive outcomes for Cerro County children and their families, according to a press release. LSI has provided early childhood home visitation services to Cerro Gordo County residents since 2020 or 2013. rather. In 2022, LSI served 21 children and their families. Quote, thanks to this generous funding, we can support more children and families in Cerro Gordo County, said Amanda McKee, director of Early Childhood Services in a statement. Her quote continues, we are grateful for support from local foundations like the Farrar or Ferrer Endowment Foundation. Our next story, Satanic Display at state house Sparks Debate on Free Speech. And it shows a photo of a man sitting in front of um, a small display. It's about the uh, size of a coffee table and it has candles on it, different books. And it reads, Iowa touring, Iowans touring the state capitol this week will see two displays, one installed by the Satanic Temple and the other a nativity scene that have sparked a debate about free expression and religious liberty. The Satanic Temple Iowa, a chapter of a national organization, installed a display last week that features a statue of Baphomet, that's B-A-P-H-O-M-E-T, and that's a goat-headed figure often used to represent Satan. The display also features seven tenets upheld by the Satanic Temple, and is set to remain up until Saturday, according to a calendar maintained by the Department of Administrative Services. The Thomas Moore Society, a conservative law firm, installed a nativity scene in the state capitol on Tuesday. That will remain for two weeks. Images of the Satanic Temple display circulated on social media last week, and has sparked calls for the state to remove it, including from at least one Republican state lawmaker. Others argued the display is religious expression protected by the First Amendment. In a statement on Tuesday, uh, Iowa Republican Governor Kim Reynolds said she disagrees with the display, but implored opponents to engage in speech and prayer rather than remove the display. Quote, Like many Iowans, I find the satanic temple's display in the Capitol absolutely objectionable. Reynolds said in a statement, she continues, In a free society, the best response to objectionable speech is more speech. And I encourage all those of faith to join me today in praying over the Capitol and recognizing the nativity scene that will be on display, the true reason for the season, unquote. In a statement on Monday, the Satanic Temple Iowa said, It was proud to take part in the holiday season at the state Capitol. The tenets portrayed on the statue the group said advocate quote for bodily autonomy a rejection of arbitrary authority recognizing our own fallibility and inspiring nobility in thought and action which we hope enlightens the viewer to our beliefs and inspires one to reflect upon their own approach to the world the quote continues we thank the staff at the capitol the capitol police and the department of administrative services for holding fast to the principle of religious freedom and ensuring all religions have an equal opportunity to celebrate the holidays together in our beautiful capital," unquote. The group said that in a statement. The Interfaith Alliance of Iowa, which is a liberal advocacy organization, said in a statement on Tuesday that Reynolds' comments about the display were disrespectful to people who are not Christian. Quote, the governor of Iowa may be Christian herself, but in this democracy grounded in religious freedom, she is not a Christian governor, Connie Ryan, the group's executive director, said, and she continues, she should never elevate one belief above all other beliefs. She's accountable to every Iowan. She should promise to do better and to inclusively represent and uphold the freedoms of every Iowan, regardless of the political regardless of the political influences to do otherwise, unquote. In a newsletter on December 8, State Representative Brad Sherman, Republican from Williamsburg, said he disagreed that the satanic display was protected free speech and called for Reynolds to remove it. He pointed to the Iowa Constitution, which states the people of Iowa are, quote, grateful to the supreme being for the blessings hitherto enjoyed. Unquote. He said that clause, implied that the state law was founded on a Christian interpretation of God, and Iowa must depend on God for continued success. Quote, It's a tortured and twisted interpretation of law that affords Satan, who is universally understood to be the enemy of God, religious expression equal to God in an institution of government that depends on God for continued blessings, he wrote. Sherman further called, For legislation to state that satanic displays are not allowed on state property, and legislation allowing the display of the Ten Commandments in the Capitol and school buildings. State Representative John Dunwell, Republican from Newton, said he did not support the satanic temple display, but that it should remain up in order to ensure that religious freedom was protected. The divide represents a rift in the Republican Party between. Christian nationalists, he said, and those who think the government should not privilege any religion. Quote, as an American and as a politician, my number one concern is freedom, he said in an interview Tuesday. I do not want the government telling me what's an appropriate religious display and what is not an appropriate religious display. Because if they can do that against something that I find objectionable, at some point that same government can do that to me. Another story from the State House. Iowa's first transgender elected official running for House seat. Iowa's first transgender elected official hopes to become Iowa's first transgender state lawmaker. Hiawatha City Council member Amy Wickendahl, a Democrat, announced Monday that she is running for Iowa House District 80. The district covers Hiawatha, Robbins, and part of Cedar Rapids. State Representative Art Stade, a Democrat of Cedar Rapids, currently represents the district, but intends to run for the Iowa Senate seat that is being vacated by Democratic incumbent Todd Taylor. That House district leans Democratic. Biden won the district in 2020 with roughly 55% of the vote. Stade won re-election with about 54% of the vote over Republican Barrett Hubbard in 2022. Wiktendahl, who in 2015, became the first transgender Iowan elected to public office, has advocated against state legislation that would affect transgender youth. She was re-elected to the Hiawatha City Council for a third term in November. She said sweeping new laws passed this year by Republican lawmakers and signed into law by Republican Governor Kim Reynolds that place restrictions on LGBTQ students, school materials and access to abortion, and create new taxpayer-funded private school scholarships prompted her to run for the Iowa House seat Quote, "We have a government that wants your vote but not your opinion," Wickendall said. "That you know routinely does things that Iowa that you know routinely does things that Iowans don't agree with." Unquote. She pointed to state and national polling suggesting widespread disapproval of banning books, restricting abortion access, and using taxpayer money to pay for private schools. However, majorities of Iowans support Republican legislation to restrict instruction on LGBTQ topics in schools and ban gender-affirming care for transgender minors, according to a March Des Moines Register MediaCom Iowa poll. Quote, I think something is fundamentally broken in Des Moines, and it's going to require new leadership to change, Wichtendahl told the Gazette. Quote, granted, that's going to be a long, hard road, but it's one that has to happen. If we're to truly have a government that works for its citizens, instead of pushing people they don't like to the borders, unquote. If elected, Wiktendahl said she would push to raise the minimum wage, expand access to affordable housing, use the state's budget surplus to create tax credits for childcare, and reverse state laws passed this year, the place restrictions on LGBTQ students, ban nearly all abortions in the state, and provide taxpayer-funded private school scholarships. Wickdendall said she also supports legalizing recreational marijuana for adult use, expanding the state's medical cannabis system, and enabling voters to place statewide referendums on the ballot. Quote, I truly think we need to live by the values written on our state flag. Our liberty, liberties we prize, and your rights we will maintain, she said. The simple fact is LGBTQ kids have fundamental rights that are being abused by this government. Supporters argue the measures assert parents' rights to control and guide their child's education and protect children from medical care medical care rather, and treatments when the science is not settled, even though all major medical groups in the U.S., Say the treatments are safe, and the vast majority of studies show that the care leads to better mental health outcomes. And then, Cedar Rapids veteran also running for House seat. Cedar Rapids veteran John Thompson, a Republican, filed paperwork in October with the Iowa Ethics and Campaign Disclosure Board of his intentions to run for the seat. Thompson serves as president of Salute to the Fallen, a nonprofit he created to help veterans and first responders and their families with mental health issues, homelessness, and more. He is also a member of the Carpenters Union Local 308. Thompson said he enlisted in the U.S. Army in 2007 and was discharged in 2012 due to injuries. He said he served as an infantryman and deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. He moved to Cedar Rapids eight years ago from Texas. And founded Salute to the Fallen in 2019. The nonprofit provides a crisis intervention hotline as well as financial assistance to pay for therapy for trauma related disorders in veterans and first responders. It also provides peer support and assistance, pairing veterans suffering from post traumatic stress disorder with trained service dogs, as well as help with food, clothing, and household goods. Thompson said he's running for the Iowa House to better help and be a louder voice for veterans, first responders, and small businesses, and improve Iowa's mental health care system. Thompson said he also is opposed to recommendations from a state panel to cut or consolidate more than 100 administrative boards and commissions as part of a state government reorganization plan signed into law earlier this year. The recommendations would need to be approved by the Republican-controlled Iowa legislature in next year's session and signed into law by Governor Kim Reynolds before they take effect. Thompson said he felt the recommendations were done hastily without consideration of the, quote, unintentional consequences, unquote, that would arise from eliminating some Iowa boards. Thompson gave the example of the state's Board of Athletic Training, which the panel initially recommended be eliminated. Athletic trainers warned that losing licensing for the profession would disincentivize qualified trainers from working in the state and allow unqualified people to work as athletic trainers. Thompson said his wife is an athletic trainer at Xavier High School in Cedar Rapids. The state panel this fall reversed some of its recommendations to eliminate some government boards after Iowans expressed concerns. Rather than being eliminated, the state's Board of Athletic Training would be merged with the Board of Chiropractic, Board of Massage Therapy, and Board of Physical and Occupational Therapy. Quote, Some of the boards recommended to be shut down didn't need to be, Thompson said. And the quote continues, They were volunteer-based and there was no effect on financial gain for the state in any direction. So it made no sense, unquote. And here at the halfway point of this reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger for Thursday, December 14, you're listening to Iris, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. Now we'll turn to the opinion page. We do have some local stuff this time. Um, first opinion comes from Steve Cormitt, Corbin, C-O-R-B-I-N, He's an emeritus professor of marketing at UNI and it says the opinions expressed are those of the author and do not reflect those of the university of Northern Iowa. Mr. Corbin writes, Donald Trump has recently been crying wolf by declaring America's legal system is a witch hunt against him. Trump claims the New York, Georgia, Florida and district of Columbia court cases with 91 felony charges are politically motivated to restrict his ability to run for president in 2024. Anyone with a modicum of intelligence would realize the hypocrisy of Mr. Trump's current ploy if they knew he never once declared witch hunt in the 62 lawsuits he filed and lost while contesting the 2020 election. Note, Trump appointed judges were among the 80 plus magistrates who dismissed his election fraud lawsuits. Let's not forget nine jurors, six males and three females, and not the judge awarded E. Jean Carroll's $5 million. Because of Mr. Trump's sexual abuse and defamation, a fact-driven versus witch hunt verdict, a federal judge ruled the ex-president's comments about Ms. Carroll were libelous. A second trial, Carroll v. Trump, is scheduled to start January 15th, which is the day of the Iowa GOP caucus. MAGA Trumpers probably haven't let it sink in that Judge Arthur Angoran of New York's Supreme Court 1st Judicial District already ruled that Donald, his sons, and the Trump Organization repeatedly committed fraud during the last decade, again, fact-driven versus a witch hunt decision. Furthermore, Mr. Trump never once cried wolf or uttered witch hunt in the 4,000-plus lawsuits that have encompassed his life. Arizona Central USA Today notes, Mr. Trump has been the plaintiff 2,121 times and 1,929 as a defendant. The media's ongoing analysis of Trump's legal findings are broken down as follows. 1. 17 political campaign cases, 6 within the last year. 2. 190 government and tax cases. 3. 85 product branding and trademark cases. 4. 1,863 casino-related cases. 5. 208 class-action cases over contract disputes tied to real estate developments. 6. 130 employee employment cases. 7. 7. 63 golf club-related cases, 8. 14 media outlet or individual defamation cases, 9. 697 personal injury cases, 10. 622 real estate cases, and 11. 206 other miscellaneous cases. And let's remember, Donald Trump has been accused of rape sexual assault, and sexual harassment, including non-consensual kissing or groping, by at least 25 women since the 70s. Um, Since past actions are the best predictor of future behavior, it's not surprising Mr. Trump has not yet made good on his promise that all of these liars, females, will be sued sued after the election of 2016 is over. Again, crying wolf. Here's a quick review, thanks to a December 6 Politico report. Of the criminal cases currently before Mr. Trump that appear to be the real deal versus a witch hunt. 1. Washington, D.C. 4 felony counts for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. 2. 13 felony counts for election interference in Georgia. 3. In New York, 34 felony counts in connection to hush money payments paid to a porn star. 4. In Florida... 40 felony counts for hoarding U.S. classified documents and impeding government's efforts to retrieve them as per law. Might Mr. Trump be crying witch hunt And his lawyers purposely throwing as many counter arguments onto the court system so the cases won't have a verdict until after the November 5th, 2024 election? Of course. Trump's history of lifelong legal, legal issues starting at the age of 27 back in 1973 with a violation of Fair Housing Act, should cause any registered Republican, Independent, or Democrat, with an ounce of brain matter, to think a little more than once, maybe two, three, four, five times, about whether a man like Mr. Trump is fit to lead the greatest country in the world and abide by the Constitution and laws. The words of Theodore Roosevelt are fitting. no man is above the law, and no man is below it, nor do we ask any man's permission when we ask him to obey it. And that was from Steve Corbin, an emeritus professor of marketing at the University of Northern Iowa. And we'll do the obituaries and then head on over to the Fort Dodge Messenger. Beryl E. Banker, that first name is spelled B-E-R-L-Y-E, E. Banker, uh, December 22, 1932, to December 3rd, 2023 um, a memorial service to celebrate her life will be held at a later time date and location to be announced. Next we have Dennis Butch Dwayne Bramson, age 66 of Mason city passed away unexpectedly Monday, December 11th um, memorial service Friday, December 15 at the Hogan Bremer Moore colonial chapel in Mason city at 11 a.m. with visitation one hour prior to the service. Randy S. Boyd, age 66, of Mason City, passed away unexpectedly Friday, December 8th at Mercy One North Iowa Medical Center. Memorial gathering will be planned for the future. Matthew Justin Amos, age 54, uh, passed away Thursday, December 7th, at Mercy, one surrounded by his family. Visitation Friday, December twenty-second, four to six p.m. at the Ward Vanslyke Colonial Chapel in Clear Lake. Celebration of life will follow at the VFW on two nineteen Main Avenue in Clear Lake. And Bonnie Ray Sikory, age seventy-four, died Sunday, December ten, at the Oakwood Care Center. Uh, Funeral service, Thursday, December 14, um, today, uh, 11 a.m. at the Zion Lutheran Church in Clear Lake. Our first story, Grassley and Ernst seek answers on fertilizer prices. Every year, Midwestern farmers have to apply fertilizer, and every year, the price of it seems to go up. Fertilizer accounted for more than 30% of the input costs in the last growing season, according to information from the office of U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, the Republican who is Iowa's senior senator. He's joining fellow senators Joni Ernst of Iowa and Tammy Baldwin, a Democrat from Wisconsin, on legislation that would require the USDA to look into fertilizer pricing. That agency would be required to report its findings to Congress within one year of the measure being signed. Farmers' bottom lines are thin as the price of fertilizer rises, said Grassley, who is a farmer. He says, with fertilizer being one of the ag industry's highest input costs, it's problematic that farmers have such a limited window into market fluctuations, he added. Our bill will provide farmers in Iowa and across the heartland with needed transparency and certainty as they navigate production costs. Ernst placed at least some of the blame for rising fertilizer costs, on President Joe Biden, quote, Bidenomics has been tough on all Iowans, especially our farmers and rural communities, she said in a written statement. On top of rising prices for everyday goods, Iowa's ag community is facing all-time high fertilizer costs. Senator Chuck Grassley and I are teaming up to force Biden's USDA to create more transparency around why fertilizer costs are so high and how we can work to bring them down. The bill, introduced by three senators, is called the Fertilizer Research Act. It's endorsed by the Iowa Corn Growers Association and the Iowa Soybean Association, according to Grassley's office. According to the bill, the USDA must include these items in its report. And we have a bulleted list here. First bullet, a description of impacts on the fertilizer market that influence price. Next, market trends in the past 25 years. A description of imported fertilizer market impacts. Impacts of anti-dumping and countervailing duties. A study of fertilizer industry concentration. A study of emerging fertilizer technologies. An analysis of whether current public price reporting is sufficient for market transparency. And next up, all smiles. Santa cops take 114 kids shopping. And this is from the messenger. Every December, officers with the Fort Dodge Police Department and other local law enforcement agencies get to fill the boots of Old St. Nick during the Santa Cops Holiday Shopping Event. Everybody looks forward to these two days, said FDPD Chief Dennis Quinn. It's just so much fun. The Santa Cops Program is an initiative of the Fort Dodge Police Association, which pairs children from low-income families with law enforcement officers for a Christmas shopping spree. The FDPA, which sponsors the event, gets the names of participating children from schools all over Webster County. Around 114 children participated in Santa Cops this week on Tuesday and Wednesday evenings at Target. Each child received $150 to spend any way they wanted on gifts for themselves, for others, or both. For our officers and what we deal with on a day-to-day basis, people dealing with situations where maybe you're having a bad day or something negative and officers have to deal with whatever that is. The last few days are special, Quinn said of the Santa Cops event, because they get to come here and it's just all smiles. During the event, the kids are each paired with an officer who takes them around the store to help them fill their shopping carts. For some of the kids, it's a pretty quick shopping trip, but others like to take their time. The last kid I helped, I think we looked at every single toy five times because he was just so excited to be able to pick whatever he wanted, Quinn said. And just as we got done, he said, this is the best day ever. So, I mean, how can that not make you happy and bring a smile to your face? Valerie Draper's sons, Tori, age six, and Tristan, age eight, were selected for Santa Cops this year. The family has been experiencing some tough times and recently became homeless, Valerie Draper said. But as the family prepares to move into a new permanent home, Santa Cops is helping bring some normalcy to the holiday season for the boys, she said. The kids are allowed to spend their $150 however they want. Many choose to use a good chunk of that money on gifts for their siblings or parents, Quinn said. How cool is that? When they get this, it's supposed to be just fun for them, and they're thinking of somebody else, too. That's just amazing, she said. While Tori Draper went shopping with gallery police officer Andy Pepples, the boy made sure to pick out a special gift that he knew his mom would love, a six-pack of Diet Pepsi. Elise Klinger, age five, was excited to get her presents wrapped and put under the tree. My favorite toy is Paw Patrol and the baby, she said. On Tuesday, after helping one young boy pick out gifts for his family, Quinn received a gift of his own. I took a young man shopping, and when we got done, I wished them a Merry Christmas, and he goes on his way with his grandma, he said. Then I was shopping with another kid, and they came back and found me, and this little kid held out his hand, and he had a little toy police car that was his, and he said, thank you, this is for you, and he handed it to me. That was amazing. That little toy police car now has a new home in Quinn's office. It's the first time I've ever had anybody give me something like that, Quinn said. I just appreciate Target allowing us to do this every year, and also to all the people that donate. We can't do these things without the different people in the community who help us. Much of the logistics of planning the Santa Cop shopping event is done by Department Secretary Amber Maxson and Lynn Meyer, who's a records and support technician. This is my favorite event that we do, Maxson said. It's a fantastic event. There's nothing better than seeing a kid smile or just knowing that you made their day look better. This week, FDPD officers were joined by deputies from the Webster County Sheriff's Office, officers from the Gowrie Police Department, troopers from the Iowa State Patrol, and commercial vehicle enforcement officers with the Iowa Department of Transportation. After shopping, the children could stop by a gift-wrapping table that was staffed by Legacy Realty staff to wrap their purchases. The FDPD has hosted Santa Cops since at least the year 2000 and then there are multiple photos of um, Cops with little kids in the toy section um, or gift wrapping uh, little girl with glasses and pigtails um, opening up the wrapping paper another little girl with big brown eyes um, the police officers are helping her put her big uh, package baby doll up on the conveyor belt at the at the checkout counter. So there's another one of a police officer helping a little boy reach to the top shelf to get a toy. And Christmas show set for Laramar on Friday. Brady O'Brien live event will benefit charity. And it shows a photo of a young man in a shimmering gold, um, suit jacket, um, playing something called a harpage while also playing the piano during his home for the holidays concert. Uh, the thing that he's holding, it's like a keyboard, but it's also like a guitar. So it's like a keyboard with a guitar handle. Anyway, story reads, a festive holiday mood will surround the Laramar ballroom this Friday as Brady O'Brien Live will present an enchanted evening Christmas performance to a capacity crowd. A handful of general admission tickets remain for the 7 p.m. concert, which again brings together musical talent from across the area. An audience of nearly 600 is expected for this event. All proceeds from the evening's silent auction will benefit Ronald McDonald House charities. We have some amazing talent again this year, said O'Brien, a skilled pianist who is a 2022 St. Edmund High School graduate. We all enjoy the holidays, but some families have had a terrible year, and we want to provide them with some happiness. Everyone deserves a bit of happiness at Christmas. Fort Dodge Senior High School graduates Michael Campbell, Melanie Buttrick, Braden Schmeider, and Aaron Amhoff will be among the vocal performance performers, along with St. Edmund Senior Maya Neverman, The band will include Mason O'Brien on lead guitar, Jake Rosso on drums, Abby Meyer on saxophone, Ryan Madden on trombone, Abby Casciato on cello, and Reese Peterson on synthesizer. All are local products of Fort Dodge Senior High and SEHS as well. Besides raising money for other nonprofits and families in need, I enjoy working with younger artists. So they have a chance to perform," said O'Brien, who's 19 years old. Featured silent auction items include a $1,000 Hamilton County Speedway package, a $500 Iowa Central Community College scholarship, a one-night Best Western Starlight Village and Inn Inn and Suites to stay, gift basket from Stella's Coffee, a bottle of wine per month for a year from the Soldier Creek Winery, and one lunch per month for a year from Tea Time, among other local business items. Um, The Fautition of Adele is also donating a $1,000 family portrait experience. Brenda Miller, the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Iowa Executive Director, will be in attendance and will speak on behalf of the Ronald McDonald House. O'Brien and his group of performers will offer a wide variety of Christmas music, while also playing selections from pop, Rock and Country, a signature Brady O'Brien Live special effects and light show, will be part of the concert as well. It's amazing to sell out the iconic Laramar Ballroom, O'Brien said. The Brady O'Brien Live team also includes area residents, Katrina O'Brien, Kim Quaid, Dana Ray Snell, Katie Hazel, Ashley Garst, Molly Schaefer, Riley Rosso, Lindsay Christie, and Mark Gales. Limited tickets are still available for Friday's show. Doors open for the general public at 6 p.m. This is the eighth concert hosted by O'Brien since December of 2021. Uh, For more information or to support Brady O'Brien Live, you can visit his website, which is BradyOBrienLive.com. And the O'Brien there is with an E. Um, You can also call or text 515 408 And sponsorships are available at multiple levels. And you can uh, email to inquire about those. And the email is support at Brady o'Brien A couple of obituaries today. Wendy L. Andrews, age 56, of Fort Dodge, died December 8th. Private family services will be held at a later date. Memorials may be directed to the family at bruce'sfuneralhome.com. And Donald Campadilly died Saturday, December 9. Private family services will be held at a later date. And you can check out arrangements at bowmanfuneralhome.com. And turning to sports in the messenger, Tritons fall to bears. And there's a photo of uh, Iowa Central's Miles Fant driving to the basket. Inside Hodges Field House Wednesday night, the Tritons were unable to keep pace with fourth ranked Des Moines area community college falling 90 to 76. Foreigner, former Bishop Kerrigan All-Stater Angelo Winkle had 29 points, eleven rebounds, finishing fourteen for fifteen from the field to lead DMAC, with his only miss being a three-point attempt. The latest NJCAA Division II poll features four league teams ranked in the top twelve, with the Bears thirteen and one overall, being joined by seventh ranked Ellsworth, number eight Iowa Lakes, and twelfth rated Kirkwood. Iowa Central one and nine has played Ellsworth once before and still has six games remaining against those four after the holiday break. You learn at this level that Every possession is important, Howie said. You cannot afford to take a single play off or you'll get beat. We're still in the process of learning what it takes to compete night in and night out against the teams in this league. Mekhi Wilson, uh, that's M-E-K-H-I, matched Winkle with 29 points, hitting six three-pointers. Chase Lowe had 14, Miles Fant 12, and Deuce Blake 11 for the Tritons. With seven minutes to go in the first half. The Bears held a three-point lead, but would go on a 19-6 closing run to take command. On the night, Iowa Central shot 46% from the field and made seven triples, but saw DMACC holding a 45-29 advantage in total rebounds, including a 13-4 edge on the offensive end. We have a handful of games here in the coming weeks to get things figured out, Halos said. That's the goal right now. From there, we need to learn how to compete, and how to win games. Iowa Central heads to Council Bluffs on Sunday to face Iowa Western for a 4 p.m. tip. They conclude the month uh, with games in Worthington, Minnesota against Minnesota North Hibbing and Minnesota West. And some honors for local football players. Six Fort Dodge high, Senior High student-athletes were recently named Iowa Football Coaches Association Academic All-State Selections. Seniors Ty Adams, Cal Hartman, Grant Williams, Drew Moritz, Zeke Pineda, and Drayton Miller were all recognized for their efforts in the classroom. The Dodgers were one of just nine Class 4A programs with at least six academic All-Staters. Adams, Hartman, William, Moritz, and Pineda were also All-District picks this past season. All six honorees were starters. And that's all the time we have for today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and some from the Fort Dodge messenger. You're listening to Iris, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind and print handicapped. We're so glad to have you listening. You can listen to this and many of our local programs right on our website and on our podcast page. And you'll find those at iowaradioreading.org. Uh, it's been my pleasure to read for you. I'm your reader, Mary Francis. Have a great day.